You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. This week and next week, I'm going to speak on the subject of giving money and stewardship. Giving money and stewardship. Uh, Around this time of year, in the early part of the year, we normally try and revisit this important area of our discipleship. You know, there are certain pivotal areas that are key to establishing a church that impacts the world. I think for me, the number one thing has to be prayer. You know, that prayer changes everything. You know, unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. I don't think we can do anything or higher priority as God's people other than being his light in the world than to come together to pray because it is God that moves. And that's why we put such a high value on prayer and we are among the uncharted thousands of hours of prayer that go on here as a church. We have regular prayer meetings and regular times of prayer and fasting. There are other areas like serving, us playing our part that are critical in establishing a church that impacts the world. And and I salute the many of you that serve in different ways in our missions partners and in our ministries and even on serving teams here that are all part and parcel of the body of Christ being alive and being active. Because if that doesn't happen, then we're just gathering for church services. But God wants his body alive and impacting the world, yes? Lots of different areas that are pivotal and key for us, community, fellowship, loving one another, knowing one another, belonging to one another, caring for one another, that sense of connection that we believe is so important in the church that God designed in his heart. One of the reasons why life groups feature so highly as a priority for us here at CLM. We could talk about teaching and encounter with the Holy Spirit evangelism. But also resource is incredibly important because it underpins so much. Finance underpins so much. The Bible says without vision, the people perish. Uh, I think it's also true to say that without finance, the vision, uh, the outworking of the vision is restricted. It's limited. And resource is incredibly important to the collective moving forward of the vision and the church. But also, we mustn't be afraid to revisit it because it's such an important area in our personal lives. It's such an important area of discipleship. It's a game-changing area of our discipleship. You know, for me, one of the key ways I have come to know God and His intervention in my life to build a dynamic, real relationship with the God of heaven has been in the area of giving and trusting God with stewardship. I have been astonished at how God has often challenged us to step out, and we've done it, and we've seen Him intervene in our lives miraculously, and that whole dynamic is incredibly alive in my discipleship. Also, we need to revisit this because of the prevailing culture that we live in that holds up a a, a hugely different set of values to the Word of God on the area of substance and giving and money and stewardship, finance, a prevailing culture that would say we've got to have more, more, and more that is against the Word of God. And we have to bring the Word of God to remind ourselves. We have to revisit this to encourage the faithful. 
There are many, and I thank God in this church, who are honoring God in the area of giving and finance and substance. But we need an encouragement. We need a reminder to come back. And often when we teach on this, people come and say, thank you, I, I needed that. And what they mean is, you know, that, that has encouraged me to keep on going. I needed that reminder that how I'm trying to live is how God wants me to live. You know, Jesus kept revisiting this subject. If you've been part of the, the rooted journey in our life groups, you'll have heard them say Jesus taught more on money than on faith, more on money than on prayer. In fact, more on money than anything except the kingdom of God. And if you track the verses, you'll find that to be true. Maybe it's so important that it needs saying a lot. Maybe some of the things that hit hardest need saying more often, but maybe it's because God is after our hearts. I believe that probably is the main reason Jesus spoke about money a lot, because God is after our hearts. He is a jealous God. He's passionate for our hearts. And one of the key things that can distract and can pull for our hearts is this area of money. It can be a battleground. I'm conscious always when I speak on this that it can be a delicate subject. I'm also conscious there will be new people in church for the very first time today. And the preacher gets up and says, I'm going to speak on money, giving, and stewardship. Like, you know, welcome to church. But, hey, we've got to come around to this sometimes because it's such an important area. Jesus kept coming around to it. But, you know, if the title has caused you to tighten up, can I invite you to relax? It's all right. I want to speak today on free to give, free to give. And I believe God wants to bring us to a place of freedom in this whole area where we can enjoy the, the culture of heaven, if I can say it like that, to be free to give, to be free in God. And so, Lord, I pray, would you help us? Would you help us in our hearts to, to come to a place of revelation and understanding and ultimately liberty and freedom that we can live as you designed us to live and your name would be honored in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, somebody once said we're most like God when we give. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave. That God gave. You know, if you're a Christian here, and we understand there will be many people here that are on a journey to faith, but if you are a Christian, you have been adopted into a family that has a culture of giving and generosity. The father of the family is the most audacious, extravagant, relentless, dare I even say reckless giver that you will ever find. And so we find ourselves adopted into a family with generosity at its heart, with giving at its heart. We'll never outgive God, but we come into that family. For me, it was a massive transformation. I became a Christian at the age of 17, and it was not a part of my world. You know, my sister, you might have heard me say this before, my sister, when we grew up, she was born generous, but I was born tight. I can remember growing like, she would always give stuff away. She would always share. She would, it was horrible at Christmas and birthdays, because even if we had the same amount of money, she would want to give more on others than, than I would really want to, but I'd feel like I had to match her. And it was like, she was generous and I was tight-fisted. And then I became a Christian and something had to shift in me. I had to learn generosity, but you know the Holy Spirit, he gets to work in our lives and he conforms us to himself, and something beautiful started to happen in my life, and I learned to enter in. 
The Bible encourages us to be generous. If you want to find more about this, I'd encourage you to look at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Really interesting passage where Paul the Apostle is writing to the church in Corinth and he is really getting in their grill. You know, it's quite in your face if you read it. He is encouraging them to make good a promise that they made, a pledge that they made to give financially towards the mission and the ministry towards the work of God. In fact, he said, I'm sending Titus to come and get the money. You know, he kind of, get ready. And he says, make sure when he arrives, you are ready. The offering is ready. I mean, it's like it's in your face. And also he starts talking to them about the churches in Macedonia, some other churches that we come to understand principally is the church in Philippi. And he says to, to, to the church at Corinth, you know, these guys, they excelled in this area. You know, they, they have given even beyond their ability to give. And he says, see that you also excel in this area of giving. We should seek to excel in this area of giving. We should seek, however far we've come, to keep going and pressing in that we would be a generous people. And, and Paul, in that Ron writes this, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply increase sorry will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to god this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the lord's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. That's 2 Corinthians 9, beginning at chapter 6. And so we are urged to give generously, to be of those who give of our substance. And yet, it can be a pressure, right? It can be an area of challenge. Maybe we feel pressured because we're not yet free to give. But I'm also aware there are many in a gathering like this that will be wrestling with debt, which is one of the reasons I'm so thrilled we're doing this CAP money management course. CAP stands for Christians Against Poverty. It's a Christian written and created course. But it will help you with practical budgeting and, and dealing with issues like debt. It, it astonishes me that we teach algebra in our schools, but we don't teach people how to budget money. You know, I mean, why? Why do we not do that? You know, why do we not teach into that in our education curriculum? Who knows? I mean, listen, if, if you're a mathematician, if you're a statistician professionally, good for you. But most of us, we haven't used X plus Y for quite a while. But day in, day out, we need to know how to handle our money, right? And yet it can be a pressure. It can be a challenge for us. We can feel guilty if we haven't got money. We can feel guilty sometimes if we have got money. And I, and I know many of us will benefit from going on this course to learn, to improve. We're probably all going to need to go through this, but why not be first to sign up when uh, we can do that from next week? But you know, even sometimes those that have wealth, it can be difficult. We can create a reaction in people. I remember in the church we served in previously, I was put in charge of a capital campaign to, in serving the man of God there to 
to, to raise millions of pounds for a building project, and we had like a six-month run at this, and, and we, were, we were just trying to get to a place where we could build this building, and we had lots of meetings. And in the midst of that, we were calling people into meetings at church to talk about the plans and the vision and what God was doing. And my brother-in-law, who had a Porsche, uh, went on holiday, and he insured me on his Porsche, and I remember driving on a, su- a sunny day into the church car park with the hood down on the Porsche that wasn't mine in the middle of a, a building capital campaign and people looking at me and I tell you, I could tell their response. You know, for many of them, like, there was, they despised me. They like stopped in their tracks and I didn't tell them it wasn't mine. I said, good evening, good to see you. I don't know, money's a funny thing, but I believe God wants us to be free. I believe God wants us to be free to give, not tense, not awkward, not offended, not pressured, not worried, not sad, because we can't get there. You know, the rich young ruler was challenged by Jesus, and and he didn't rise, he didn't respond to the challenges he should, and he said he went away sad. I believe God wants us to be free. I'd like us to look at three things I believe we need to be free to give. Firstly, we need to receive a revelation of ownership. I wonder if we can say that together. We need to receive a revelation of ownership. If you've been part of the Rooted Journey, you'll have heard this loud and clear. I found the the week eight video very powerful, the clarity of the articulation helpful for me. You know, there, there is an issue of ownership. Whose money do I think this is? That's a massive issue for us. And, and until I cross the line of thinking it's mine to understanding it's his, then I'm going to have an issue in this area. Jesus in, in Matthew 24 and 25 is speaking to the disciples shortly before the cross, before he's crucified. And he's starting to speak about end times. He's starting to speak about judgment. He's starting to speak about how we treat the poor. He's starting to speak about getting ready and being prepared for his return. And in the midst of it, one of the things he speaks about is stewardship. And he does it by a parable. Uh, traditionally, it's called the parable of the talents, but it's, it's, it's not. The talent was, was an amount of money. It was like thousands of pounds. In the revised NIV, it actually calls it the parable of the bags of gold. It would be probably better to call it the parable of the pounds or the parable of the dollars because it's not like the parable of the talents like Britain's got talent. It's a parable of money. And this is what the parable says. Jesus said, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability, and he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Notice it's, it's his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The same thing happens with the guy with two bags of gold. 
And then the guy with one bag comes and says, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. He had a warped view of the master. And it caused him to not handle wealth in the appropriate way. He said, I was afraid and went out and I hid your gold in the ground. And see, here is what belongs to you. Now, that, this in many ways is a challenging parable. I'm not going to spend the morning on this parable. We could take a couple of weeks looking at this. There are many things we could draw out of it. But the key thing I want to draw out of it is ownership. Jesus is talking about a day when we will see him. And the, the man in the story, the master, is clearly God. The servants are clearly God's people. And it begins by saying, a man was going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his wealth to him. Whose whose servants were they? The masters. They were the master's servants. And it says, and he entrusted his wealth to them. Whose wealth was it? It was the master's wealth. It didn't say a king went and and visited some subjects and asked them to pay him a tax. He said, uh, uh, the master gave his wealth to them. And we understand here that there is an issue of ownership. An issue of ownership. Now, it's a parable. It's a story. So it could well mean more than just money. It might mean anything entrusted to us. If you're gifted, if you're talented, will we not stand before God and will he not say, what did you do with that? If we're afforded position in this life and this world, what will we do with that? Will we use it for his glory? But I think it's not unreasonable to think it also must mean money because it's talking about money. Money is actually the example. What do we do with that? But the issue is ownership. It reminds me of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, or the fullness thereof. The the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But here's the thing. If some of it's mine, then it's not all the Lord's, right? The earth is the Lord's and and most of it except this bit because it's mine, right? It's not the Lord's. It can't be the Lord's. The Lord's got, got your stuff but not mine. The earth is the Lord's and all of your stuff but mine's my own. No, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart, blessed be the name of the Lord. We understand, like the story from the funeral of the rich man when it was asked, how much did he leave? And the answer came back, everything. That if anything is entrusted to us, it might have come into our hands by employment, it might have come into our hands by the industry of our own lives, and yet ultimately we have to get to a place in discipleship where we recognize it doesn't belong to us. We are stewards, not owners. And until I grasp that God created me for his pleasure, that he redeemed me to be in relationship with him, that everything entrusted to me is his, that I am an owner and not a steward. I'm going to have a challenge in this area of giving. We have to make this game-changing shift in perspective from does the Lord want some of my money to, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? Now, I can't remember exactly when I made this shift, but I can tell you on the day that I gave my life to Christ at the age of 17, I wasn't there. That I, I didn't believe this on day one. But somewhere in my discipleship, and quite early on, I came to understand I had to move to a place of recognizing everything I had was now his. That the one who had died on the cross for me, that had given all, And the greatest of hymns that that I know when I survey the wondrous cross demands my life, my soul, my all. That he who gave all 
also has supplied all into my life, but I have to recognize, actually, it's not mine, it's his. It's an issue of ownership. We need a revelation. Some of us, we might not be there, but we can get there by the grace of God. And I want to tell you, it will bring liberty to you. You might be sitting here wrestling with this thought, ah, that's a ridiculous idea. I'm not, this is, this is mine. I want to tell you, you break it. You will step into freedom. It's like Keith Tonder, who was an incredible guy that I once heard speak in, in this area, who'd been hugely successful in the city of London as a financier, made millions of pounds, and, and, and really ended up giving it all away and serving people coming out of debt. And he said that he had to make this transformation in his own life, and he itemized everything that, that was around his world. He said, I just had to do it to change my heart. And so he wrote this big list, and it was like, the house is, is God's. The carpets belong to God. The curtains belong to God. The furniture belongs to God. The pension scheme belongs to God. The food in the cup. He said, you might think I'm ridiculous, but I had to do it. He said, but it had its benefit a couple of weeks later when someone crashed into my car. And I was able to say, Lord, someone's just crashed into your car. You're going to need to sort it out, Lord. But something can shift within us and it will bring us to a place of freedom. See, I believe God delights to supply and to provide and to bless. You know, 1 Timothy 6 says, Command those who are rich in this present world, which, by the way, is us. If you earn the average Midland salary, you will be in the top 1% of the world's wealthy. The average Midland salary. Wow. Think about that. The top, if I was to say to you, who wants to be in the top 1% of the world's wealthy, you probably all put your hand up. And the chances are half the room probably is. Anyway, sorry, that's an aside. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who, check this out, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, I believe, so, like in this, here's the tension. It all belongs to him, and he wants to bless us, but we have to view this differently, or we will never be free in this area of giving. If, if I, I'll never be free if I view what I have as my hard-earned cash, but I'll enter into freedom and liberty when I cross the line of ownership, and I can say, God, you have entrusted all of this into my stewardship by your grace. Secondly, I believe that to be free to give, we need to resist the spirit of mammon. Resist the spirit of mammon. Now, if you're new to church, this might sound a bit weird. Bear with me. I'll unpack it for us a little bit. Jesus speaking on the Sermon on, on the Mount, as it is called, Matthew chapter 6, says this, breaking in at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is, is saying have a different mindset, a different culture, the things that you're investing in with what you have, give into the kingdom of heaven where your, your reward will be for eternity. Then he says the eyes of the, sorry, the eyes, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, Michael Green says in his commentary, there's a nuance in the Greek where we can understand generous. If your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, and he says there's a nuance of, of stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And there you'll find a capital M and a word that is only used once by Jesus. It's found in the parallel passage in Luke 16. And it's the Greek word mamonos, which links to the Syrian god of money, mammon. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. And we understand there is a spirit of mammon. There, there, is, there is a spirit behind materialism that wants to have you, that wants to own you, that wants you to shape your life in response to it and pursue it. And that spirit will be at work over our lives unless we learn to resist it. And we have to learn to resist it. To be clear, money is not evil. Things are not evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But there is a spirit that operates over material things, and there is a battle over your life. It's, it's a spirit that promotes greed, that drives to consume, that wants to have us. It, it is like lust. It's like sexual lust. It will not be satisfied. It is insatiable. If you gratify it, it, it will not go away. It will come back stronger. We have to understand we, we feed the spirit of mammon at our peril because it will not be satisfied. You know, I don't know whether you've ever seen something and wanted it. Because what can happen sometimes we can see something, it can be anything. It could be a pair of shoes, it could be a pair of trainers, it could be a car. Have you ever seen something and, and it's kind of got under your skin? You kind of want it, and then, and then you end up really wanting it. And you come to a place where you've got to have it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like that's, you know, and most of us will have experienced this, where like, this, and it's like unusual. I mean, normally we do our transactions, we go after stuff, but sometimes something can get us, and we've got to have it. Who knows what I'm talking about? And, and that, let me tell you, like something powerful almost comes, and, and we don't recognize it. It's the spirit of mammon working in us. And what happens is, normally, we work out a way to get the thing we must have, um, but when we get it, are we then fully satisfied? Or maybe for a day or two or a week or, you know. But actually, does that fulfill? No, it doesn't. We have to learn to resist. I'm not against things, but we have to come to a place of freedom in this. God wants us to be a place of freedom where we are free to enjoy all the things that God richly provides, but they are not owning us. We can think that we are master over these things, and actually they are mastering us. And we can shape our lives in response to it. And, and I speak about this because it's important that we recognize what is going on. Notice the language Jesus uses. You'll love one and hate the other. You cannot serve both. In the Rooted Journey, they highlighted a U.S. survey that asked how much would it take to be rich. And they, they asked people that earn $30,000, how much would it take for you to be rich? And they answered, on average, $60,000. And they asked people who earn $50,000, how much would it take to be rich? And, and guess how much they answered? $100,000. $100, they asked people who earn $100,000, how much would it take to be rich? They said $200,000. They asked people who earn $500,000 a year, how much would it take to be rich? They said $1 million. They asked people who earned a million dollars a year, how much would it take to be rich? And they said $5 million. $5 million. Well, it gets worse. And what we see there is actually there can be something here that always wants 
more. All around us there can be expectations of what we should have, of what we think people think of us, the expectations we put on ourselves. We often, Jonathan spoke last week in his message about comparison a little bit, how we can get caught in a trap. Neil, who's here, Neil McCoy Ward, who shared his testimony so powerful a few weeks ago, talking about the challenge. I loved his honesty because so many of us could identify with it. And he talked about the challenge of God speaking to him in our next level offering back in the autumn and challenging him to, to pledge an amount that seemed too much and the wrestle, the wrestle, and then finally giving in and putting his pledge in. But then when the Lord opened the windows of heaven and provided so much business in one week that it was there in his bank account, there was a second wrestle as whether well actually... To, to give it or not. Why? Because this is real. This is real. It can be around our lives in, in a multitude of different ways. And we have to learn to resist. We have to learn to watch out. That we are free to give. That we are, are free to be the Lord's people. See, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against stuff. But we have to recognize. Jesus says you can't serve. There's two things in the world. And they're both after your heart. And you can't serve them both. So we have to be on our toes here. Now one of my boys had started training with a, a football club and the first time I took him I drove into the car park where the other parents were dropping their kids off and I noticed that all the cars I could see were, were nice cars right they were some of them were extremely nice cars extremely expensive cars and most of them were new cars and I was conscious that my car didn't quite fit now I thank God for my trusty car it has served us well over many years. That has done tens of thousands of miles, and we, we thank God for it. It was a gift from God. But you know what would have happened, and I, I can say this because I used to have an issue with the spirit of mammon. I come to recognize this didn't happen in that moment because I, I'm, I've learned to resist this. But what would have happened if I hadn't been on my toes is I could have been in that environment, I would have gone away, and I would have thought of the spirit of mammon would have started speaking to me. And do you know what it would have said? It would have said, you need to sort your car out, right? It would have said, you need to get a better car. Your car's a disgrace. Your, 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 it would have said to me, your car is an embarrassment. It will be an embarrassment to your son. In fact, he might not get into the team because of your car, right? <laughs> It would have said, what you should do, Martin, is you should go online. You should look at some cars. See, just, see, just see what's out there. Just... Just take a look. Just have a look what's out there. You might find it more affordable than you think. And, and you, I'd have seen some cars, I'd have seen some options, and I thought, oh, that's great. And I'd seen something that would have been modest, but I'd seen something just for a little bit more that actually would have been great. And, and then I'd have kind of clicked on the next and seen a really nice car. I thought, oh, do you know what? And the spirit of man would have said, you deserve that. <laughs> you, you deserve that car. For the sake of your son, it would say whatever it would say. Like, listen, you know, am I right? <laughs> you know, some of this stuff happens around our world. And what could have happened is then I would have said, fine, I'm going to find a way to get this car. I'd have talked to Esther and, you know, we'd have, she'd have said, get thee behind me. But, I, you know, I, I, we, but imagine, we, imagine we talked you through and I'd have said, no, no, we need to, we can do this. We can afford it. We'll, we'll make it work. And we'd have overstretched ourselves and we'd have signed up and we'd have got it. And I'd have felt great in a way and I'd have felt horrible in another way. 
Because now I'm in an issue because I'm overstretched, I'm in a difficult place, and I'm not free to give. Now, hear me right, I've got no issue with new cars. You've got a new car, that's fantastic. I'm not going to come out in the car park. In fact, I, I, I know, look, I'm going to be the last one to leave so you don't think I'm judging. Like, I'm, listen, I, I've got no issue. Let me tell you, one day we will come in a different car. Because however faithful my trusty steed has been, no car lasts forever. And there'll come a day when you come to church and you go, oh, pastor's got a new car. Oh, check him out. <laughs> right? But his car's better than my car. Must be earning too much money. Like all of this stuff, it goes on, right? It happens, right? We've got to be careful. We've got to resist. There, let me remind us, we are the children of God. Our citizenship is not in this world. We are strangers and aliens in this place. Now, I am not against enjoying the blessing of God and, and having things around our world so long as they don't have us. We have to be free. And God wants us to be free in this area. And we have to recognize there is a spirit at work that wants to have you, wants to own you, wants you to serve it. So we have to receive a revelation of ownership. We have to resist the spirit of mammon. And thirdly, we have to exercise faith in the provider. We have to exercise faith in the provider. I've spoken so much in the past about faith in the area of giving. It has been such a wonderful, exciting journey for us. How God has challenged us to, to give and stretched us in our giving and we've trusted him and he's come through for us. It's been, it's been so incredible, so amazing to exercise faith in the provider stirring us and then providing abundantly. But let me say, we, we have never given to get. We've never given, don't ever give to get. If you hear a gospel that smacks of give to get, it's not the gospel of Jesus. We give because so much has been given to us. We give because the, the giver has poured out into our lives. We give because it's not ours. We give out of obedience. Now, my testimony, I cannot deny, is it would appear that the more that we have been faithful with what's been put in our hands, the more the Lord has poured in and entrusted us with. And I can't deny that is how he has worked. But along this journey, if we're going to be free to give, we are also going to have to step into a dimension of faith. And this is where it can bite for us. We have to work out whether we're going to trust that the one who is called provider is actually going to provide. And it becomes, and this is one of the reasons I think this is so important in our discipleship, because God wants us to experience his involvement in our world and in our lives. He wants us to step into that uncomfortable place of trusting and see him provide and pour in. It's one of the ways he delights to demonstrate him to us, himself to us. You know, Jesus speaking about treasure in heaven, don't store up treasure in heaven. You cannot serve both God and money. The very next thing Jesus says in Matthew 6 is, therefore I tell you, don't worry. Wow, wow. You know, there's a break in, in the NIV. There's not a break in the original. He said, here's an issue. Don't serve, you can't serve God and money. Serve God. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven and therefore don't worry. Don't worry about your life, about what you will eat or drink, about your body, about what you will wear. Is not life a little more than food and the body more than clothes? He goes on, he says, look at the birds. Look how they're provided for. How much more precious are you? 
He says, therefore, don't worry about this stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added into you as well, that God will provide abundantly for you, but trust. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, trust me in this. God is who God is. In Genesis 22, God speaks to the man of God, Abraham, and he challenges him to sacrifice his, his son, the son of promise, Isaac, and he's testing his heart. Is God first in his life? And, and Abraham responds, and he's willing even to sacrifice his son. And at the moment of committal, the angel of the Lord steps in and says, no, don't raise your hand against the boy. And, and a, a, a ram is caught in the thicket and is provided as the sacrifice. And Abraham has a revelation. This is who God is. And he says, he, says, he called the place Jehovah-Jireh. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Or Jehovah-Jireh, which means the God who sees and the God who sees to it. And we learn one of the names of God. We understand the nature of God by the names of God. Who God is said to be is who he is in essence. And here revealed in Genesis 22 is, is who God is, that God is the provider. The God who sees and the God who sees to it. And yet there comes in 2018 the challenge to our little world. Are we going to trust God to be who he said he is? I've never met anybody that has not sought to trust him in this area and seen him to be who he says he is. But always there is a dimension of faith in God, a faith in the provider. God is the one who sees and the one who sees to it. So you know, I can come to a place of understanding that what's entrusted to me is his. I can come to a place of resisting a spirit that would seek to have me, but to be free to give, I still need to be able to trust that he is able. I still need to be able to be faithful and, and to give and to trust that what is needed will be provided. Lamar, come and join me if you would as we close here today. Malachi chapter three, final verses to read. And we'll touch on first things next Sunday. This is what the Lord says in Malachi 3 verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me, the Lord says. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Test me in this. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no room enough to store it. I'll prevent the pests from devouring your crops. The vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before they are ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. I want to encourage us to be those that not only have a revelation of ownership, not only learn to resist the spirit of mammon, but also exercise faith in the provider. That we're faithful that we honor God in our giving, that we respond to him and we put our trust in him that he is able to provide. As we close, let me ask, what is the Lord saying to you today? 
What's the Lord saying to you? Not what am I saying to you? What's the Lord saying to you? And I wonder if we can enter into a moment of prayer. It might help you to close your eyes and bow your heads. You don't have to. What's the Lord saying to you? Is he speaking to you here today? Is he asking you to view what is in your world as something you're a steward over, not an owner of? Is he challenging you to serve him, to change the pursuit and the priorities of your life into a place of freedom? Is he inviting you, wooing you, daring you to trust him? Maybe again, maybe afresh, maybe you've stepped out and lost your way and he says, trust me in this. Maybe for the first time to enter in, you know, if I look back, the ground that I've taken by the grace of God, I've been in little steps, little moments like these where I've made a resolve. I've said, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to approach life differently. And something happens in my discipleship and something happens also in my relationship with him as I yield to him in another area of my life. So Holy Spirit, speak in these moments. Be at work in the hearts of your people, Lord. Lord, I thank you that your arm is never too short. Lord, for every person here that is maybe struggling in the area of finance, I pray. Let provision come. Open up your hand of blessing. But I also pray in our hearts, Lord, help us. Help us to be free. Help us to be free to give. Help us to be free to generous, to be generous. Help us. Lord, to have transformed hearts, hearts that would hold on and would say mine. May they be generous and reflect your heart and be a blessing to you and to others in your precious name. Amen.